Welcome, everybody, to Trail Tales. This is your host, Tom Funk. Thanks for joining me again for another episode of Portages, Pathways, and Paddles of the Great Lakes. Celebrating the various pathways, hiking trails, portage routes, and uh, uh, water routes in the Great Lakes. Today, we're going to portage between the Saginaw Bay and Lake Michigan using the Titabawassee and Grand Rivers. Now, you may be sitting there going, what? The Grand or the Titabawassee? Why are they going that way? Why don't they just go around the top of Michigan or maybe a different route like using the Huron and the Grand? Well, that's uh, interesting you bring that up, and uh, you'll find out uh, why this uh, is probably the preferred way to get across the Lower Peninsula by Native Americans for centuries. So we found that this is an ancient water and land route uh, between the two largest watersheds. And it did prevent a longer paddle around the top of Michigan and avoiding the Straits of Mackinac, which can be treacherous. There are also several foot trails connecting the proximate tributaries between the two watersheds, portages, and several water routes connecting the main streams of the Titabawassee and Grand Rivers. So this is a circumstance of geology. Um, Glacial Lake Huron actually drained from Saginaw Bay to Lake Michigan via the Tibawassee and Grand River channels. After the glaciers retreated, the land rebounded. So think of like when you lay on your bed at night and you get up in the morning, the mattress comes, comes back up because it doesn't have that weight anymore. Well, our landscape did that as well. So upon uplift of the landscape, um, that lowered water levels, and uh, it was this was the primary uh, drainage route, and it wasn't until recently in geological history of Michigan that these two rivers finally separated into their own watersheds. Albeit, it wasn't uh, until really the man, you know, the Europeans helped that along by ditching, diking, and draining of the wetlands at the headwaters of both of these watersheds. Um, legend has it that one could float their vessels between the two without portaging uh, during most of the year. Only at the driest times uh, would you have to actually get out and pull your canoe. So if you think about it, that would be a pretty popular route. It uh, keeps you from going through the straits, and it's very easy to do. Today, there's only a low sand ridge, several feet in height, that separates the two watersheds. And it's uh, about uh, a mile or so. I think it's actually a little bit less than a mile. Thing is, it's now in uh, farmland. Hinman documents a network of trails between these two watersheds, as I've mentioned. And if you look at his uh, atlas, um, you could see these footpaths, um, and they established themselves on higher ridges that paralleled both river systems. In time, Native Americans used the waterway as a cross-peninsula route between Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. So not only did they have the paddle route, they had the portages, they also had a hiking trail as well. Hinman also shows chunks of trails between the various tributaries of the Titabawassee, like the Chippewa, Pine, and Bad, and the tributaries of the Grand, like the Maple, Fish Creek, and Prairie Creek, and by playing Connect the Dots, you see a network establishing of trails and portages.
Two routes came about, the first between the Pine and Fish Creek, the other between the South Fork of the Bad River and Maple River. Both routes have their advantages and disadvantages. The former being longer by 13 miles, wider and shallower than the latter, which was narrower but deeper. The Fish Creek was likely shallow as well. One would surmise the bad maple portage would be the preferred route. Additionally, a major foot trail paralleled the maple, then to the Bad River, making for a portage route if needed during low water levels. Also, if you didn't have a canoe, you'd probably use that route as well. Along the headwaters of the Prairie Creek, traversing eastward to cross Fish Creek, then to Duck Lake, uh, onto parallel the Pine River was another foot trail. Connecting the two in a north-south route along what is today's US-127 is a trail that connects the Pine to the Maple. So the first documented account of Europeans using this route was in the Jesuit relations of 1675-76, to 76, when Father Henry Nouvelle used this route in his travels from St. Ignace to the interior of the Lower Peninsula. Um, he he uh, wintered there and documented the presence of uh, some uh, Sauk um, uh, Native Americans. However, it is theorized that Grosselier most likely used this route in 1654 when he crossed the Lower Peninsula. There are no journals or records of this crossing, but he somehow made it from Detroit to Lake Michigan then up the west coast of the lake. One could assume he cut across using the Huron Grand Route, but as we previously discussed in detail on another episode, that is not a preferred route, uh, and it probably wasn't used very much by Native Americans. As you'll see in the chapter um, on, uh, on Grand and Huron Portages, um, it's, it's much likely much faster to canoe back to Saginaw Bay than to cross the maze and mire that was the connecting passages between um, the Huron and Grand River watersheds. Lahontan also traveled the route from 1687 to 89 and documented its use um, by the Ottawas and Hurons and uh, noted that there were great quantities of beaver upon the confines of the Saginaw River. And by the early 1700s, this had become a regular transportation and portage route for the French. Additionally, is well documented by the Saginaw River Basin, was well populated and traversed by various bands and tribes of Native Americans. In fact, 1,300 Native Americans were encouraged to resettle around Detroit from the Bay, which is a large number um, at that point in history. And let's not neglect the western end of this route. A trading post was established by Charles Michel Mouet de la Glade, in the 1750s at the mouth of the Grand River in Grand Haven. This water route opened up the interior of Michigan via the Grand River and its tributaries. Many trading posts were established along the route and its tributaries. In the 1830s, due to the success of the Erie Canal, there was a desire by our newly formed state to create canals across Michigan. One was to connect the Saginaw to the Grand via the Forks in the Bad around today's St. Charles. And they wanted to connect it to the Bend in the Maple. Engineered drawings were drawn up and drafted, and actual work started at the Forks in St. Charles in 1838. But by the summer of 1839, the state of Michigan was broke and could not finance this project any longer. 
In addition, the railroads came shortly afterward, ending any dreams of a cross-state canal. So there's actually quite a bit of written history on uh, this uh, route. Um, and uh, you can uh, find some of it if you get your hands on the Jesuit relations. Um, there's history in there. Lahontan uh, is... Uh, um, also wrote a lot about uh, the canoeing and, and pathways here in uh, Michigan. Of course, you've got uh, Hinman's uh, uh, Archaeological Atlas of Michigan. Um, and there's just a bunch of different uh, resources. If you're interested in any of those, I can certainly uh, send you uh, a message if you uh, ask. Um, in uh, uh, Pierre Radisson's biography or autobiography, um, he mentions a well-known portage route from Lake Erie to Lake Michigan. Um, we're thinking that uh, he may have meant the Saginaw Bay uh, in the route that I just talked about. So, um, but we don't know because, well, Radisson, uh, he actually wrote his biography, uh, or autobiography actually, based on memory. Uh, and Grosselier, uh, there was nothing about his trip. So it's just going to be lost to the pages of time, I guess. So... It's also mentioned in the uh, Jesuit relations in 1856 that uh, two unnamed Frenchmen returned from Green Bay with a flotilla of Algonquin canoes and reported they had uh, um, used this route as well. So uh, there's apparently a lot of history on this little stretch of river. And if you pull out a uh, topo map and follow along, uh, looking at the rivers and tributaries on a map, you'll see this little portage. And just imagine uh, where these two watersheds came together. It was a very large uh, wetland complex at one time. And as the, the landscape rebounded, it dried out. And then, of course, humans came, ditched, dyke to drain the area, uh, eliminating the ability to float between the two watersheds. But a very motivated person could get a kayak up these tributaries and do the short portage if they so chose. All right. That's kind of cool. That's actually one of my favorite portages because who would think using that route to get across the Lower Peninsula? But apparently it was a pretty popular route. So there you go. Another trail tale for you. And I appreciate you listening. Hey, go to my Facebook page, uh, Tom's Worldly Adventures, and uh, check it out. And you can ask me any questions you want there as well. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.